Are you a clinician in primary care who wishes there were better resources to help you understand how to navigate the concept of triage in modern general practice? We'll boost your triage skills with our dynamic five-session live webinar course tailored for primary care clinicians. Led by myself and Dr. Ed Pooley from Difficult Conversations, this comprehensive training covers all facets of remote patient triage, whether that be digital, on-call, or other opportunities. Through this course, you'll gain practical knowledge, exclusive hints and tips, and direct access to myself and Ed through open Q&A sessions of the course. Elevate your ability to manage primary care challenges effectively and confidently, and most importantly, safely. Register now to transform your triage approach at bit.ly slash GP triage course for GP in capitals. We will definitely catch you then. What is an appointment in general practice? What does it actually mean to record and how should you do that when it comes to tacking off things like the appointment data, AC008, if you're looking at that from the IAF, and various other things when it comes to general practice. In this episode, myself and Andy are going to have a look at that and try and explain what on earth is an appointment and how you should be structuring your appointment books and various other things to comply with all the crazy guidance that exists out there. So let's tech enhance your primary care and learning. Hello, EGP learners, and welcome to this episode where we're having a look at some recent guidance that's come out, consolidated, shall we say, in terms of how to manage your appointment book in general practice, which may sound really dry and boring, but actually it's got some really significant ramifications, hasn't it, Andy? Yeah, it is. Yeah. So so interesting today to be looking at this um, consolidated guidance from NHS England published on the 7th of November 2023. Not quite sure mm-hmm. when you're watching this, hopefully near to then. So it'll remain current for you. Um, and uh, I guess the NHS has been really interested, particularly in the last few years, in understanding the activity that actually happens in general practice. I think for a long time, the system didn't really have any idea, um, you know, how much work and what types of work and appointments were were happening in general practice. And, um, you know, I think that was a a bad thing because I think probably there's a lot more activity that does go on and, and was going on than people may have thought so mm-hmm. in recent years there's been a drive to um to categorize appointments um in a way that is standardized across different gps different gp surgeries uh, and different parts of the country so that we're kind of counting the same thing you know we're counting comparing apples with apples oranges with oranges in terms of the data and that's it's really really complicated because i think people yeah. were recording their activity and putting their clinics on in all sorts of different ways so actually getting a good data set that actually means something that you can compare over time and with different surgeries in parts of the country, it's really difficult. So there's been a drive to standardise the data. Uh, so people start talking about, about GPAD categories and uh, so forth. So Gandhi, what what's GPAD? Yeah, <laughs> so GPAD stands for General Practice Appointment Data, um, and it's based off uh, the appointment books in general practice surgeries and stuff. So those of you working in primary care will absolutely know what this looks like because this is where you look for your appointment slots and stuff, whether that's on the EMIS system one or any other kind of system and things. Um, and basically they use an accountancy process that comes in the background to tell what types of appointments they are based on how the slot types have been allocated. Now, this is based off guidance that came out a couple of years ago, back in 2021. Um, And at that time, it was part of the uh, investment and impact funds to make sure that you had allocated each of those slots to the correct slot type at that time. And that then followed into last year's um, IAF to make sure you've done that and stuff. And then this year is where they've now started to utilise that data to try and then do 
other kind of things. Many people probably would have seen some of the outputs of this in the regular kind of updates around general practices delivered 29, 30, 32 million appointments this month, you know, and that kind of stuff. And that also supports some of the data about how many vaccination based appointments were done previously. Obviously, that's a much smaller number now compared to if we go back two years ago and, and things. Um, but it's now being used to also then help verify and analyze the appointment and access agenda, particularly the capacity and access improvement work that many practices and networks are currently doing. And obviously, networks are now paid um, the recombined IAF funds as that payment every single month and the potential 30% extra payment that's going to come for probably next year um, based on whether or not they've achieved their capacity and access improvement plans, commonly now called CAPE plans. We love our acronyms, don't we, Andy? Yeah, so I think it's um, it's interesting that the this data is now being attached and um, and linked to payments to general yeah. practice because that wasn't the case at first. And at first it was just about understanding and reporting on activity. But I think many people, including ourselves, predicted that before too long, uh, this would start to be linked to performance monitoring, uh, management and potentially payments. And I think we might see more of that in the future. So really understanding what's going on and getting this right is really important. Um, mm -hmm. I think people who are most interested in this are probably going to be uh, the GP uh, partners, practice managers, uh, and then primary care network uh, managers, primary care network, uh, CDs and, and board members, because those mm -hmm. are the organisations whose funding is 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 now linked to this yeah. data. Uh, but that means that they'll be, um, uh, you know, obviously leaning on their staff to make sure that data is recorded appropriately. So I've started to see pop ups in some of the places that I work just to confirm the appointment types, you know, as you're finishing the yep. appointments, for example, if you do extended access appointments, then you get one of those in Nottingham. So people need to understand how important it is to fill those in and to do so and accurately. Interestingly, I think we'll see even more of this. So I'm aware that some of the online consultation providers now also have a selection menu that comes up after you have done, for example, online consultations to show the output of what those appointments have been for that similar accountancy process to try and analyze and support that kind of data. We'll come into why that kind of works and doesn't work in a second. Um, but as Andy mentioned, this is definitely being used to support payments. The key one for this financial year as well is something called ACC08, which is part of the um, impact and investment funding. It's 71 IIF points, which if you have no elements of um, uh, what you call it, um, compounding factors and stuff, it's approximately £14,000 per network, um, which is a sum of money to be noted, shall we say, um, in terms of the grand scheme of budgets for primary care networks and that kind of thing. So, so it is something that people need to be aware of and pay attention. Um, probably worth we have a look at the document, isn't it, Andy? Uh, yeah, so a few things to look at. So let's bring the document itself onto the screen. So so we're, we're on NHS England's website and um, you can look at all of their press releases and new documents. So we've shown you how to do that in the past mm -hmm. and keep an eye out for new releases. Um, so... Uh, it's not particularly long, and uh, I think it really is about consolidating um, guidance that has been out there for a while. We were having a look through and trying to work out if we could recognise anything as particularly new, and I'm not sure that we spotted anything particularly new, but it's certainly good to see this guidance brought together in quite sort yeah. of a concise form, really. And I think I think they really just wanted to drive a further increase in data quality. Uh, and the document's reminding us that it's linked to um, 
uh, to funding now and that these are the mechanisms through which it is, as Gandhi says, mm-hmm. uh, enhanced to, uh, it, the, the DES uh, Impact and Investment Fund with um, ACC08. Is that the need to be seen? Within, is that the two week one, Gandhi? That is. So that's yeah. the need to be seen within two weeks of contact with the practice and stuff. So, so it's being used for 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 for, for that purpose. Um, it's um, just really reminds us of the categorization of the appointment. So this is important when the um, appointment rotors are being set up by mm-hmm. the manager, just to make sure that you set them up appropriately. And they want good data quality. So um, important things are that if you know if we're recording something as a certain type of appointment, that needs to be what's actually occurred. You know, and that something mm-hmm. else hasn't occurred because we we need accurate data so that people can get the the payments and the funding into general practice right and, and understand how much work is is going on essentially so um so they categorize the the type of um appointments i don't know whether it's worth just defining what an appointment is Gandhi, because for, for a long time i guess that yeah. wasn't defined and uh oh here it is just uh, this document links back out to um a powerpoint powerpoint slide from i think around sort of 20 21 when they mm-hmm. were beginning to um to start doing this data but yeah so it's important to know what an appointment is gandhi what's an appointment yeah. in general practice so, three parts to an appointment you're going to find this three things to most things in a second um so all relevant staff it, it can be involved in this and it does include the additional roles um, themselves as well are included in this so it's a, an interaction with a member of staff okay and it talks about the types of members of staff on the second page but we'll come to that in a second it talks about the modes of consultation so this is face-to-face telephone video every kind of mode and the modes are then broken down a little bit later on and we'll come to that in a bit more detail and then the settings so this is what the settings are now this part there probably has been a little bit more attention in terms of what this means and, and uh, again when we get back to the main document we'll focus on the settings so those three things have to be considered in terms of what an actual appointment is what i thought was more useful on this particular slide is something and this is something that i think me and andy haven't actually noticed before is it, what it excludes and i think this is really important for practice in particular to be noting because this is not what they will be counting when it comes to an appointment um so there's five things i think six things on there isn't there andy yeah. um so number one is purely administrative interactions between the practice so this is things like your practice manager meeting with staff or a patient to complain uh complete a subject access request and various things around that so something that doesn't seem to include you know an element of clinical interaction and stuff mm-hmm. that won't count as an appointment um non-clinical triage or administrative signposting so this is when you may get a request from a patient for example through your online consultation things um and you've signposted them to actually a different section for them to fill in a report or maybe signposted them to uh, a local service or or something like that that's not involved in the clinical journey kind of thing Mm -hmm. um Yep. Online requests that do not result in interaction between the patient or the healthcare professional, um, for example, on automated online triage. So I guess this is the AI mechanisms that automatically do stuff in the background, which some providers give this, some don't. Um, But basically where there's activity where it hasn't resulted in a clinical interaction in one of the six modes that we'll come to in a bit. Um, But but, but, um, obviously triage where a a clinician is in the loop is... Is fine. It's just those that are purely AI, uh, AI driven. Yeah, I guess our interpretation of that is automated. Um, so that could be either automated by the services or AI driven and that kind of stuff. Yeah. 
Um, work undertaken by a healthcare professional that doesn't involve a patient contact. So I think this one's quite important. So MDT meetings, um, case conferences, powers of care reviews are some of the ones that's listed. But the big ones are things like letters, document management and results processing and stuff. Prescriptions as well, processing those are not counted as appointment data. I think that for many people may be one of the key ones that is considered slightly different because I think many would argue that's a clinical interaction. Um, I guess the question is what happens if by doing that document, you then contact the patient I think by that nature, because you've now contacted the patient, that is an appointment. So maybe you need to consider how you document that. Um, any clinical administration activities, so that's things like training, supervision, et cetera. And then finally, um, interactions with PPG groups and stuff like that wouldn't count as an appointment, which we can yeah. understand that one, I think. However, if that ended up being a group consultation, may turn it on its head there. So, so, I mean, many of those seem reasonable, although some of them take quite a lot of time, like, you know, writing referral letters. Um, and other letters mm-hmm. That's the only one really that i think represents a significant amount of work which whilst it might not be an appointment i think ought to be counted somewhere and i guess maybe will in the future but i guess the key it thing is. here is uh it's about um the the relevant staff the mode and the setting because that's really what they want coding yeah. which is what this document is providing Sorry, Andy, before you switch off, can you just go back to it? And it would be worth us showing the list of the staff, which is on the next slide. Um, So if you just scroll down, and there you go, you've got the list of staff, basically, that count as having an appointment. So GP, nurse, um, you know, various different R's roles and stuff are in there as well. Care coordinator, interestingly, does count as an appointment. Um, I think some people may have considered that doesn't. Important to recognise things like um, your um, practice manager, your reception teams, for example, unless they're considered care coordinators, wouldn't really count within that and stuff and things as well. Um, so, yeah, just being aware of the different types of appointments that are considered there. Yeah. I mean, an observation for me here, Gandhi, about the what, what is defined as an appointment is it, it's it's much more than, an, you know, a um, traditional appointment mm-hmm. with a doctor or a nurse or a healthcare system, which might be what, what was kind of traditionally at the beginning of the data recorded as yeah. an appointment. So I think there's going to be a period of time where as people get better at recording appointments to these definitions, we're going to see an increase in numbers of appointments delivered, which yeah. I think is probably you know expedient for everybody. Um, but it may not represent a genuine increase in the amount of um, general yeah. practice being delivered. So I think that's just something that everybody just needs to be cautious about. Uh, if people are saying, oh, there's, you know, a million more appointments well it might be that we're counting a million more appointments but uh, it's not necessarily the case that that has happened so as the governments and the lhs you know try and work out what is being effective at including appointments they need to you know understand um some of the deficiencies in this data and how it will have been recorded over time hey gb learners have you heard about epic the EGP Learning Poblast Implementation Consultation with myself and somebody else from out there in primary care. That's right, whether they're in practice, PCN or wider areas, it's about the journey they've been through to make a change in the working life that they do for the benefit of either their patients, their practice teams or themselves and how they went through that journey so you can learn from it and hopefully implement similar or something different in your area going to hear about the highs the lows the pros the cons and the journey they went through to make this a reality so it's your opportunity to learn from our fellow egp learners
I'm Dr. Gandalf of EGP Learning, which is designed to help you understand primary care and the tech around it. And make sure you subscribe to this podcast to get every epic episode, as it's going to be podcast first. And let's get ready to go epic. And worth also mentioning um, about the fact that there probably are more additional roles that aren't counted on there that won't satisfy the requirements. It says about other registered professionals, but I guess right. since then we've had things like GP assistants, trainee nurse associates, that kind of stuff that would probably still count, I would imagine, as an appointment, but aren't on that particular list. Mm. Worth yeah. noting from there. Similar to the while ago, isn't it? When the R's yeah. list was shorter. So let's get back to the, the types of appointments. So it mentions three particular things. So you've got care-related encounter. So this is basically something with a patient interaction of some sort. Um, and we'll talk about the modalities of those in a second. Then talks about care-related activity. So this is not necessarily where you've had patient contact, but stuff around the patient. There'll be things like your results. There'll be things around, you know, that kind of stuff. Mm. And then which, is, add- which is interesting because um, in setting these categories and allowing us to record them on the rotor, it does allow for them to be counted um you know in the yet future. they don't count it yeah well Definitely. they don't count as an appointment but yeah. at least the data is being recorded so the activity you know can be understood which was a criticism of the gpad data initially we were saying actually what about all of these tasks that are done that are not necessarily captured but i guess this is a way that, that yes and no so so, so i think it comes down to the mechanics so because it's counted through the appointment book unless you are actively putting each of those interactions down on the appointment book, it won't necessarily count as an interaction. So it's sort of counted, but it's not counted, if that makes yeah. sense. No, it does. I guess what I mean is it's kind of, there's the there's a mechanism for valuing that work now. Yeah. People would have to record it in a different way. It would have to be recorded on the appointment leisure, which actually is a little bit impractical for a lot of the kind of ways tasks are set up particularly in system one because you'd have to transcribe it across and book an appointment which would be you know quite cumbersome way of doing it but at least there's the potential for it to be valued in the future and clinical record systems manufacturers could change um you know how how easy it is to slot these into lists on ledgers for example so i just thought that was interesting uh to point out and then there's this third category of at a administration and practice staff activities so these are sort of all of those interactions between um staff that are required to just manage the practice so it's sort of yeah. recognizing that that is work as as well and and yeah. has the potential for valuing that in the future which i think is 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 interesting and possibly important. positive then it mentions about for ACC08 about the types of appointment slots they expect you to use for the counting for tours out. So there's the four main ones, which is general consultation acute, unplanned clinical activity, uh, walk-in and clinical triage. And then there's, um, sorry, th- the, the additional ones that also included within um, AC08 about the two-week appointment lot. Uh, let me just restart that back again. So there's the first part that sets out for the CAPE plan, which is the ones I've just mentioned then for the two-week aspect of ACC08, there's the additional ones, just general consultation acute, general consultation routine, unplanned clinical activity, clinical triage, walk-in home visit, care home visit, and care-related encounter that doesn't fit into another category, which is basically your catch-all mechanism and stuff. Um, and they're kind of seeing that, you know, where people need to allocate them. And I think they're trying to understand how that works better with those kind of ones. But typically, those are the slots that you should be using to allocate for your um, patients booked within two weeks. Important to differentiate that there is one subset of appointments for those for practices. 
one subset of those for PCN delivered workload, particularly the R's roles and stuff. And then as we come into in a second, the third setting, which is the enhanced access setting. Is that correct, Andy? Yeah. Yeah. So I think we're talking about appointment types, then we're talking about settings and then the the, the mode um, yeah. that that encounter took place by. There's a nice annexing table at the end, which which uh, helps um, helps us understand um, the, the, the role of these different categories, essentially. Mm -hmm. So the setting. So in fact, we're we're getting towards the, the table here. So maybe it's worth um, let's have a look at it, shall we? Have, having a look at the table, essentially. Mm -hmm. So really, what's important is the mode and the then the location of the service and then the, the setting to be. So if if it's happening in uh, if it's a practice team, it's providing core hours. That it's saying actually, when you're setting up your appointment ledger, you set the loc you know the service to be used as general practice. Um, whereas if it's in core hours. But um, if it's our staff, then it's primary care network activity. So um, this table is there to um, help you understand how to set up your rotors. Mm -hmm. And then it further differentiates for enhanced access, because I think they're keen to try and capture what considers an enhanced access or provision and stuff. So you've got the extended access provision categories in there, and then you've got the, the catch-all. The next part talks about mode, and this is probably the one that came in a fresh back in April. Um, so it talks about um, six different modes of consultation. So you've got face-to-face -face as a home visit, your face-to-face -face taking place within the surgery. Mm -hmm. You've got not an appointment, which is as it sounds, um, tele yeah, telephone or audio consultation, video with audio consultation. So I guess you can't really by their definition have a video without audio. I don't know, maybe it's possible. You could mime your consultation, you place your aids. Yes. Um, and then written, which is your online consultations um, that many of us can uh, consider and stuff and things. Um, and then it talks through basically a step-by-step -step process of how you need to put these into the appointment slot, appointment books and stuff and things, which is quite nice. And then, as you can see, there's the link to the appointment definition article that myself and Andy just showed you. Yeah. So... And then obviously there's links to um, support for putting this in place. Um, and I think the, the new the new functionality here, I believe, is this is the modes. That's what it's saying yeah. here. The, the new functionality is around the mode. So I think this just makes the the, the data richer um, for NHS England to understand what's happening in primary care. Um, mm -hmm. Is that a good thing or a bad thing, Andy? Which just part? In your opinion? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> no, which just, part? Just, um, just the data. I mean, some people think well. Yes, people might be un uncomfortable um, mm -hmm. about this level of data um, going uh, to NHS England. You know about what's what's happening in general practice. You know, is this is this overreach or is this is it necessary for them to manage the contract as it is? Is mm -hmm. it necessary for them to manage a future contract they might want to put in place where payments flow more differently? You know, do you think this this heralds a future where payments might be linked? to activity more closely rather than the broad concept of delivering on the needs of your population as is currently what we're required to do in the GMS contract. I don't know. Mm -hmm. what, do you, what do you think about providing all this data? Um, I don't think there's a problem with capturing the data. I think there's always been um, cynicism and, uh, and concerns, whichever way you want to take it, in terms of how that data may be used in the future. I think right now, Actually, what it shows that general practice month on month is increasing its delivery of appointments. But like you said, there does need to be that conceptual discussion about what is considered an appointment. And does that mean we're getting more GP appointments? Maybe, maybe not. Um, 
I think there are a couple of things that you need to be aware of when it comes to this data and, 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 and it's glaring outright holes in the data from my perspective. And I know this is something I've, I've discussed in numerous times and stuff, but because the capture source is the appointment book in the clinical systems, they are not designed to easily capture appointments unless it's a pre-structured template and this has real problems because it massively undercounts the amount of work that general practice does um, and it unless you live and work in general practice you won't understand how challenging this can be but simply just adding an appointment is not as simple as it sounds it's a really cumbersome process you have to go through so as a result of that it doesn't often work and particularly changing an appointment from one subset to another to count for the slot type is not simple. In fact, a lot of people probably won't even have the rights to do so because the system is designed to prevent you from doing that because otherwise it messes up the rotors. Yeah. Um, so, so it's, it's as simple as, well, this this person was, you know, they were booked a telephone appointment, but actually they felt a bit more unwell. They've actually turned up here at the time of their telephone appointment to have a face-to-face appointment because they felt that's what they needed. And actually we we saw them and did yeah. it as, as, as a face-to-face appointment. But on the ledger, that will have been set up as an, an appointment type, as a telephone appointment in a telephone clinic. And actually, it's difficult. Do you cancel that and then yep. book them in again as a face-to-face? How do you handle that? So it's it's tricky. And what, what happens is that people probably don't record the data in the right way. They do the right thing by the patient, True. but they won't record that there was a, you know, a more resource-intensive encounter that, that happened, for example. Yeah. And the other big one, Um, is the concept of online consultation data. So the reality is to put an appointment down for every single patient you've done an online consultation with is exceptionally cumbersome work. Um, I know some places where they actually will try and do that. So they put them onto the slots, they allocate it to the individual clinicians. Um, They may have administrators whose sole job is to go back and add all these onto the appointment books to try and account for the data, taking them away from other roles within the practice. Um, And the simple part is, is that a lot of that online consultation volume capacity um, uh, that's being done is not being accounted for um, because the systems do not allow that to happen in a simplified way. Now, I know some of the online consultation providers are, have different views around this. Some feel that this is just not something they need to change because actually the process of accounting for the data is incorrect and the process should change. Um, some of them have tried to come up with um, workarounds, potentially using things like robotic process automation and that kind of stuff to support it. Um, but the reality is, is this part of the workload is not really well accounted for at all. And actually, it's a growing workload in general practice. So I think it means that the data is false. Um, and NHS England absolutely are accountable for the fact that they're perpetrating <laughs> false data for the public to be aware of and us as practices as well. Here, here, I agree. I agree entirely <laughs> with you um, in terms of solving that. Um, I mean, the clinical record system providers and the providers of electronic consultations are placed well to to solve that problem if they can work together effectively to make that happen well i'm sure it's not technically easy because we're talking about two systems that were often operating in parallel in terms of electronic consultation systems on one program and traditional appointment ledger mm-hmm. and clinical record systems on another so so that's where the difficulties are and i guess if people aren't doing this in practice um you you, you don't necessarily see where those difficulties lie so yeah i agree right. that it's um 
that it's another example i think many practices probably aren't aware of um so for example at the very least for system one i'm pretty sure it's the same with emis um home visits aren't counted for because they're not put onto the appointment book so actually a lot of practices when their data gets published will probably say that they do no home visits at all but actually they may be doing loads but it's not accounted for so that work which is actually one of the most intensive and time use you know time expensive um, routes of consultations not counted for at all for a lot of places because they're not actively having to well they're not actively putting them back on the appointment book and stuff so i, th I think there's a lot to be said about the the process doesn't quite fit the data mm. Obviously, this data is shared and used nationally by the media, by everyone. Mm. If the data's not right, do they need to stop? Yeah, and and might be worth just showing um, just an example of how the data is used and where where you find it. Really, so um, on NHS Digital's uh, website, um, you can go on, or you can just search on Google. You know, appointments in general practice, and, and give a month. And currently, they produce um, a monthly report with highlights. Mm -hmm. And you sometimes recognize these figures in media, uh, you know, mainstream media articles, because they often kind of come along and have a look at this data and um, and, and write a story around it, essentially. Yeah. And, and you can download more uh, kind of regional data um, around it as well. It could just go down to by region, by um I think the data does go down as far as um, individual GPs. Practices. It does go down to individual level. practices as yeah. well. Yeah. And if you're part of the system, you can um, you can register to access um, this data in a web portal. Um, I think as well to have a look. I don't know if you've had a look at that side yeah. of things. You do need to to log in, Gandhi. Mm -hmm. um, so um, so that's that's that really. So hopefully people can can have a look at the uh, at the new consolidated guidance as i think the new he thing here is mode um i think there's clearly an intention to try and get this data as, as good as possible um notwithstanding the limitations that we've identified which i'm sure nhs england are aware of and hopefully motivated to correct and um as i say i wonder how this data is going to be used in the future because that's always the concern people have around collecting data isn't it so well the current use that you you want to collect my data for is is fine and i'm happy with that but the thing about data is once it's collected or once you have the mechanisms to collect it people may come along in the future and choose to do different things with it that, that mm -hmm. weren't originally talked about you know that's the classic problem people have with data collection and data sharing you know by the government don't they so it will be interesting to see what comes along uh, and in some respects i guess you know these are provided under a contract um you know from from nhs england by general practice and you know they might argue they've got a right to know how that those funds are being used from a public interest perspective um, but an interesting topic any final thoughts candy no, just do have a look at this. Uh, I think it's really important that we do try and capture the right data. And my last comment is going to be a massive plea to the system providers, to the online consultation providers, and to NHS England, sort out the accountancy process because it's wrong. It needs to be better. Stop making it bump, to be honest, for lack of better terms. Um, and as ever, if you want more details, we will happily cover this. If you actually want us to go through a guide of what this should be looking like on your systems and stuff, do let us know in the comments down below. It'd be an interesting episode, I think, for us to do, Andy, maybe. Mm -hmm. But, you know, we can have a look at that process and stuff. And uh, alternately, you can check out this, this episode coming up right here that probably gives you more data about the GPAD stuff as ever. And we will be here to have Tech Enhanced Primary Care and Learning. And we'll catch you in the next episode. Oh. Hello there, EGP learner. 
I'm Dr. Gandalf and I often get asked, what kind of resources do you have to try and help those using EMIS? Because you tend to do a lot more stuff for System 1. And often I've really struggled to answer that question because let's be honest, I don't use EMIS on a regular basis. So therefore trying to help EMIS users is a little bit more difficult for myself. And that really made me feel, well, not great. So I kind of did something to try and help all those EMIS users out there. I went and had a chat with one of my colleagues, Dr. Mike from GP on the Move, and him and I have created a course that you can use to help you use EMIS so much better. That's right, if you use EMIS, but you want to use it so much better, so much quicker, and in such a way that means you go home sooner, then check out our EMIS for Clinicians course. It's an online course that takes you through all the tips and tricks that Dr. Mike knows to try and basically mean you can go home quicker. That'd be a cool thing, wouldn't it? And guess what? It's currently on offer. So if you want to take advantage of this introductory offer and get access to it now, look at the links down below and check it out. Additionally, if you're a practice, network, or wide area that wants more opportunity to use it, send me an email, egplearning at gmail.com. Let's see if we can help you out. And as I like to say, to tech enhance your primary care and learning. Shall we get back to it? Oh, and if you wanted one for System 1 users, well, you know I've got you covered, haven't I? Check out the Learn System 1 for Clinicians course, bit.ly slash tpp s1 course.